Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are with us today. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are kicking off a brand new sermon series this morning. Now, how many of you when you were a kid had a toy that looked like this? How many of you had a Magic 8-Ball? Maybe you still have a Magic 8-Ball somewhere in your house, maybe in a drawer, maybe in a closet or an attic. How many of you remember playing with these as a kid? Now, I love these because when I was a kid, the way that I would use these is I would have these really important questions that I would want to know the answer to. Like, will the girl call me back? Or will I make the team? Or what's going to happen on the test? And then I would take the Magic 8 Ball like we would all do, and we'd shake it really hard. And then we would wait for the answer. And this one says... As I see it, yes. And so then you would feel some amount of hope and some amount of courage because the Magic 8-Ball gave you some sort of ability to predict and anticipate and know the future. Now, we all know that these don't really predict the future. But when we were kids, when we thought more simply, we put so much hope and trust into these because we were in desperate need of some sense of security about what would happen, what would be coming. I'm not sure that we haven't picked these up again in this new reality we find ourselves in. In all of the uncertainty that we're experiencing right now, and all of the questioning and wondering and worrying and waiting and wishing and hoping that we all are doing on a daily basis, it seems like to me We are looking left and right, desperate to find some sort of magic eight ball that we can shake and that will give us some sort of answer that we can place our trust in. Now, this isn't wrong. This isn't bad. This isn't something that we need to stop doing. We just need to recognize that as humans and the way that our brain is wired, we're designed to do this. We're designed to look for things that help us predict the future. Now, the reason we're inclined to do that is because as we're able to predict the future, as we're able to anticipate danger, as we're able to perceive threats, you can imagine from an evolutionary standpoint, when we saw the lion off in the distance getting closer and closer, our brains learn to translate that input into a signal that helped us come up with a plan that would allow us to protect ourselves. Whether we'd climb the tree or we'd pull out the spear or whatever would happen, when we saw danger, when we saw threat in the world, our ability to to pick that up and detect those threats allowed us to come up with a plan that allowed us to protect ourselves. Our brain is designed to do that. It does this a thousand times every day on small scales and on big scales. Now, here's the problem. The place that we find ourselves in right now, it's this uncertain, undefined, nebulous, and vague threat. We know that there might be bad things coming. We might see indicators in the economy or in our industry or in our family and in our household. We might 
be picking up on these perceived threats and we start to anticipate danger. And so we try to come up with a plan, but because these threats and because these things that are happening are ill-defined and we don't know when they might happen, we don't know how long we're going to be in this place, how long will we have to be homeschooling our kids, will the economy ever jumpstart again? Will we be allowed to leave our home so we can go back to work so we can pour money into the economy and allow restaurants and businesses and industries to revive themselves again? Because we don't have any sense of knowing when that will happen, our brains can't come up with a plan. We can't figure out how to devise a plan that protects ourselves, that keeps us safe, that protects our 401k, that makes sure our kids are, are healthy and that they're prospering in their schoolwork. Any of the ways that we try to make plans that ensure our productivity, that ensure our betterment, that ensure our livelihoods, we're not able to do that right now because the normal feedback loop system that exists in our brains doesn't do well when the threat is uncertain, when it's undefined, when it's looming and vague and nebulous. And that's precisely the place that we find ourselves in right now. I know I don't have to tell you this. My guess is in the last several weeks, you've heard the word uncertain about 12 million times because that's kind of the defining characteristic and emotion and feel of everything right now. It's just uncertain. But this uncertainty, because we can't predict it, because we can't plan for it, and because we're not able to protect ourselves from it, causes an unbelievable amount of psychological stress. Our brains are working overtime all the time trying to figure out what the problem is and how to solve for it. My guess is you've spent a lot of effort and energy and time, maybe more so than normal, watching the news, reading the paper, refreshing Drudge Report, trying to get some sense of what's going to be happening in the world. We are looking for Magic 8 Ball, something that will allow us to predict, to come up with some sort of plan so that we can protect and secure ourselves from the threats that exist in the world. Now, one of the kind of areas that I'm just personally interested in is the economy and investing in finance. I know nothing about it and I'm not any good at it, but I'm really interested in it and I'm interested in it because I don't know anything about it. And so it's a place that I'm constantly reading shareholder letters and reading letters from kind of a hedge fund manager to his investment group. And I'm always noticing the similarities right now between their world and my world. Now, my world as a pastor, I'm dealing with some of the psychological stress that you, the church, are experiencing. You call me and we talk and we discuss how hard it is sitting here in this place, not knowing when we'll get out of it and what's going to happen. And I'm noticing some of the similarities between kind of the investment world and the pastoral world. And so a lot of the themes that I hear in these letters that I read talk about the importance of waiting talk about the importance of not trying to draw too many conclusions from past events or present events towards a prediction for the future because we don't have complete data and because the things that we're trying to make predictions on are new. We've never experienced this before. You know, not since the Spanish flu have we seen a pandemic on this level. You know, never before have we seen a level of government involvement in kind of the economic world of our time. We've never seen some of these things before. And so it's really hard to plan. 
And it's really hard to predict based off of them. And so as much as we would love a magic eight ball to help us in this place, there isn't one. Now, this place that we're in, it has a name. This place that we're experiencing right now, this kind of feeling that we're going through, this thing that we're wrestling with, it has a name and it's called liminal space. It's called liminal space. Now this idea of liminal space recognizes that there are at times in our life an in-between between what was and what will be. Liminal comes from this idea of kind of being on the threshold, beginning at the entry point into something new. You've started to leave what was. You're beginning to approach what will be, but you're not there yet. You're in this in-between place. And my guess is for you, if you're like me, you feel stuck in this liminal space, in this in-between place. And the problem is we don't know how long we're going to be in this in between place, in this liminal space. We don't know how long it's gonna last, how long will we have to homeschool, how long will we have to shelter in place, how long will we have to work from home, when will we go back to our normal lives? We don't have the answers for any of those things. We're not, we're not back how life used to be. We're not in the old routines and the old patterns and the old familiarity that we once kind of felt safe in, but we're not, we're not in where we're gonna be next. We're not in the new place. We're not in life as it will be going forward. We're just in this like, you know, holding pattern in this waiting place, in this liminal space. Like I just described previously, is stressful. It is hard. Now, a liminal space isn't just something that we're in right now. Many of us have experienced these again and again and again throughout our lives. We just kind of describe them as transitions as you move from one stage of life into the next stage of life, as you leave high school and you get ready to go to college, maybe some of the angst and uncertainty that you feel in between high school and before you get to college, that's again a liminal space. Maybe, you know, as you've gotten married and you prepared to have a kid during that pregnancy, you're kind of in this liminal space waiting for what your new life will look like. Or maybe you're in job transitions and you've switched from one career and you've left that career and you're getting ready to enter a new one again. That's another example of liminal space. But for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time ever in the history of the world, we are all collectively as a, as a world, as a country, as a community, and as a church, we're all in this liminal space together. We're all in this waiting game. We're all in this holding pattern. No longer where we were, but not yet where we will be. And so what do we do in this place? And I think there are some guides who can point us and instruct us and give us clues as to how we understand the place we find ourselves. One of those is Father Richard Rohr. He's a theologian and author. Maybe some of you are familiar with him, but he describes this liminal space this way. He says this. He says, it is when you have left or are about to leave the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. When you've left or are about to leave the tried and true, the familiar, the comfortable, the routine, but you have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. 
It is when you are between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. This is how he describes this place that we are in as a world right now. And he goes on. He says, if you are not trained in how to hold anxiety, if you are not trained in how to live with ambiguity, if you are not trained in how to entrust and wait, you will run. You will do anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. Could a better description exist for where we are right now? This feeling that maybe you have in your mind and in your soul and in your heart that exists kind of in your friend group, in your social circles, with your coworkers, this terrible cloud of unknowing. This is where we find ourselves. But there is a way that we can learn how to hold anxiety. There is a way that we can learn how to live with ambiguity. There is a way that we can learn how to trust and wait so that we don't run or just do anything to escape this. We can learn to sit in this uncomfortability. We can learn to sit and be patient in the midst of all of this uncertainty. We can learn to wait in the midst of worrying and wonder. You see, this ability to wait to hope for what will be as we're being drawn into something new, but not there yet. This is the story of the Christian life. This is the story of the Christian faith. For thousands of years, God has been drawing his people out of the old and into something brand new, taking them away from what was and asking them to come on a journey with him into a new place, into a new land, a land that he has not yet shown us, but one that is always better for us. And that's my hope for where we find ourselves today, friends. Where we find ourselves in this very moment in time is that God is begging us to draw us closer out of where we are, out of the patterns and the routine, out of the old and the comfortable and the familiar, into a new place that he has for us, a place that will allow us to draw closer to him, to prosper, to live more in the example that he calls us to. I have great hope that this is where we find ourselves right now. And so this is why we are beginning a three-month look at the book of Exodus. Now, we've never really embarked on a journey that long before, but I think this is the perfect time to do so as a church, to begin to unpack this story, because this is a story of God drawing his people to new places. Now, my guess is, if you have heard of the story of Exodus, you likely think of this scene with the famous Charlton Heston. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand!
Now, don't you just love how far CGI and technology have come in our movies? Thankfully, we have more than what we used to have. Now, for many of us, the Ten Commandments is kind of our understanding of the story of Exodus. Or maybe if you're of a younger generation, you're familiar with it in terms of the, story, or the movie, The Prince of Egypt. It, begin, it all unpacks this story of a man named Moses in his journey to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. But before we jump into the story of Exodus, we have to go back a little bit further because the story of Exodus is not its own story. It is not a new story, but is it a continuation of the entire story of Scripture? You see, the Bible is made up of 66 books. The Bible comes from the word Biblia, which literally means collection of books. And so the story of Exodus is a part of another collection of writings called the Pentateuch, which to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, and to the Jews was understood as a collection of five books. Now, Exodus is the second of the five in this kind of package of books. And that sits into the larger framework of all of Scripture and the 66 books that we know today. So Exodus isn't a standalone story. It's just part two of a multiple-part story of the story of God's people. Now, I think a great way to visualize this, to begin to understand just how interconnected all of Scripture is, is to look at a chart that I'm about to show you. Now, what the, uh, the originator of this chart did is he took all of the references from Scripture that reference each other. So if somewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew quoted Genesis or quoted Exodus or quoted one of the prophets, he made a note of that cross-reference, of that connection between those two passages of Scripture. Now, what he did is he took all of the ways that all of Scripture references and connects to each other, and then he mapped out those connections. So let me show you what the Bible looks like when we acknowledge and illuminate all of the ways that it is one large story. It looks like this. Isn't that beautiful? So the white bar at the bottom, those are the different scripture references. And then the arcs that you see in this rainbow kind of pattern are the different ways that scripture talks to each other. It engages with each other and it, it interacts with each other. And the longer the journey, so from Genesis, maybe a journey to Revelation, that's highlighted by a green line. And the shorter the reference from one book to the following book, those are highlighted by purples and blues. And what you get is this beautiful picture of Scripture. Not as isolated stories, not as fractured events, but as one large sweeping narrative and it's a narrative of a relationship between God and his people. So to understand Exodus, we have to go back to the beginning of God's relationship with his people. And this starts one book earlier in the very first book of the Bible called Genesis. Now, the beginning of Genesis, we hear the story of Adam and Eve and the garden and the snake. And many of you are familiar with that story. And then what we hear about it are the descendants of Adam and Eve. And eventually we get to a man named Noah. And then we hear about Noah and the flood and two animals of every type. And then we have a long list of all the descendants of Noah. And then we get to a passage right about Genesis 11 that leads us to the story of Abraham. 
Now at this point in Abraham's story, his name is Abram. And this is how God begins the story of a relationship with his people. Now I want you to listen to the words of this as I read it to you. It's profound in the way that God is beginning something new and calling Abram into a new journey, away from what is familiar, away from the routine, away from his comfort zone, and into an adventure with God. Where we see Abram in this moment is exactly where we find ourselves today. So this is out of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, leave your land, leave your family, and leave your father's household. Leave these things for the land that I will show you. So here in this moment, Abram is being called out into a new journey and into a new place from God, a land that God will eventually show him. He hasn't seen it yet. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He doesn't know how to predict what it will be like or whether he will enjoy it or it will be beneficial to him. He just has to begin the journey by trusting God. But I don't want us to overlook this. This invitation that God gives Abram is significant. Up until this point in human history, life was cyclical. You were born in the same place that your parents lived. You raised your kids in the same place that you grew up. And then you died and they went on to raise their kids in the same place that you lived, that your parents lived, that your grandparents lived, that your great-grandparents lived. Life was cyclical. People didn't expand. People didn't move across the country. There wasn't a lot of travel. There wasn't a lot of journeying. You stayed in what was comfortable. You stayed in what was familiar. You stayed in what was expected and routine. Year after year, generation after generation, for thousands of years, this is how human history evolved. This kind of clan-based, tribe-based development. Nobody left. Everybody stayed. Life was predictable. Life was cyclical in this way. And if there were any historical accounts of people, it was either about gods or kings. Nobody cared about the average person because the average person didn't do anything noteworthy. The average person didn't do anything significant. All they did was live where their parents had lived and raise their kids where they grew up. Again and again and again and again. And then with Abraham. For the first time in human history, we, be, we begin to record the details of a man's life. Because all of a sudden, for the first time, life stopped being cyclical and history and time became linear. There was something new that was happening in the world. God was beginning to interact with and develop a relationship with this man for the first time. And so God calls him to leave this cycle, to leave this pattern, to leave what has been for the journey of what will be. Now, with this invitation comes a promise that God makes to Abram. And he says, leave the land, your family and your father's household for the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there you have it. The setup for Abram to find himself in a similar place that we do today, in this liminal space, leaving what was the familiar, his land, his father's house, his family, 
and moving to a new place where he will be a great blessing, where God will make him the father of many nations, and through him all of the world will be blessed. Those are the two places that Abram has awareness of. But in that moment, he's in the in-between. And most of the story of Abram's life and Abraham's life is the story of him learning how to live in the in-between. And so God extends Abram an invitation. Will you step into something new? Will you leave what's safe? Will you leave what's familiar? And will you come to a new place with me? Because in that new place, there is promise and there is blessing and there is prosperity and there is the opportunity for everyone to be blessed through you. This is the invitation that God extends Abram. And Abram's response, as the narrator of Genesis says, so Abram went. So today, we find ourselves in a similar place. God is inviting us out of what is comfortable. God is extending an invitation for us to step away from the old routines, to step away from what was, from life as we knew it, and to take part in a journey. A journey that we don't know what it will look like. A journey that we can't anticipate how it will be or what will happen into a future that is unknown. But the place we find ourselves in is this place of uncertainty, this place of wondering, this place of waiting. But this isn't a bad place. See, this is the place of excitement. This is the place where God does things in people's lives. There is a beginning and there is an end. But the most important part of the story is the in-between. It's the part that happens. This is where all the action happens in a movie or in a story. And this place that we find ourselves in is where all the action happens between us and God. This is where God does works inside of us. This is where God begins to mold and shape us, to draw us into new places, away from old patterns, away from old choices, away from old mentalities, and into a way of living and conforming and becoming more like him. See, this is the perfect place for us to be right now because this is the place of movement. This is the place of transformation. And this is the place of change. And so Abram went. My question for us this morning is, will we? You see, after Abram went, Abram had children, and those children had children, and those children had children, and eventually Abraham's descendants find themselves in a place called Egypt. And no longer are they the family of Abraham, but they are the people of Israel. And it's in Egypt that the people of Israel find themselves in a new opportunity to enter into a new journey, into a new adventure with God. And their story, the story of Exodus, is our story. And that's why we're going to look into this story for the next several, several weeks. Because we have to learn how to live in this in-between place. We have to learn how to live in the waiting, in the uncertainty. We have to learn how to trust and wait. And Exodus teaches us how. And so my friends, I hope that you will stick with us throughout this entire series. I hope that you will sign up for the Bible studies and for all of the supplemental resources as we dig into the story of Exodus. It teaches us and it gives us the instructions for how we live in the in-between. 
And in the in-between, you will find that God will meet you there. Friends, let me pray for our time together and we'll conclude this morning's service. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for today. Even if the place that we find ourselves in, God, is uncertain, is tenuous and unpredictable. God, help us to let go of all of these attempts to find magic eight balls in our lives, to try to predict the future and begin to learn how to wait for you in the in-between. To begin to trust you more and to begin to step out in faith into a brand new journey and adventure with you, God. This is our prayer. Give us the strength and the ability to follow you wherever you may lead us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.